0: That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. we by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: It's time to play like a jet with your host
0: Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that
1: mean? Mackay Becton, ladies and gentlemen. Human beings uh, that uh, large should uh, not run as fast as Mackay Beckton did. And if you like people just
0: abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Wilson going to the air. Chased out by Daquan Jones. Wilson looking into wide open touchdown! First NFL touchdown for
1: Zach Wilson! And it goes to Corey Davis. Down the middle, he's got it!
0: Elijah Moore, the 20, the 10, the 5, touchdown! Jones has just caught flat-footed. What an excellent, excellent round. He'll immediately he he got the handoff. You know and it's <laughs> the QA. <Q-inator. laughs> oh my gosh! Listen, thank you.
2: From the playlikeajet.com digital studio. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at play like a jet one. And my next guest is a first-time guest, and boy, did he kick a beehive here, a hornet's nest, if you will, with Jets Twitter when he went on his podcast, The Forecast with George and Eric, and said that the Jets actually had a bad draft after everybody was saying that they had a good draft. Jets fans got all excited, and then... My next guest had to rain on their parade. He is the co-host of The Forecast on Pro Football Focus with Eric, George Tarari, who also does some other things behind the scenes at PFF, but I think it's top secret, so we can't really get into that. George, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it.
3: Hey, man. I am glad that uh, I saw you uh, amongst the other comments, which I, you know didn't didn't read super frequently but when I, I jumped in there and uh i it was excited because you said you wanted to be civil on the podcast and i you know to be honest uh, i think the great thing about um about football is that you know you can have civil conversations but still get super fired up and um i'm excited man this is going to be fun especially because you know you definitely have a different opinion than me on this mm-hmm. and you spend a lot of time you know thinking through the draft and obviously you do a podcast that's you know, very involved, especially with the Jets. And for me, you know, the, the, my podcast is an opportunity to have a lot, have fun, you know, and, and, and talk about football with one of my good friends. And so it's, it's uh, I, I just think it's a great opportunity to talk through things and to talk through like draft strategy. You know, when do you, how do you evaluate a draft? Cause it's really hard to do so. Um, so thanks for having me on, man. I'm really excited to, to talk about this
2: really glad that you could come on because I think sometimes heated rhetoric gets in the way of cogent points (laughs) and people get angry and they yell and they scream. And that's never been my style here on this show. I wanted to have a discussion because you have a legitimate viewpoint that is shared by a fair amount of people in the analytics community. Even if I strongly disagree with it, I think it's worth hearing you out and then bouncing some ideas back and forth and seeing where we might be able to find some common ground on this. Before we get into the disagreements, I want you to restate your position because there are some people that are listening to this that may not be on Twitter, didn't see the clip, or they may not listen to your podcast. Can't imagine why they wouldn't listen to your podcast. They should be, obviously. I actually like what you and Eric do a lot, so that's why I was kind of surprised to hear your take on this. But reiterate for me what your position is on what happened in the draft involving the Jets.
3: Yeah, no, and this is, this is good because there's a lot of Twitter is one of the worst places for nuance (laughs) ever. (laughs) Um, And so it's good to have these conversations where, you know, you can kind of talk through like the nuance and whether you agree or disagree with that kind of that set of parameters, I guess. And by the way, if you watched, when I said, when I talked about this on the podcast, I've got to admit, I've got to say this, I watched it back and I, I was so animated and I don't know why I got so animated because actually, you know, one of my best friends is a Jets fan. And um, I, I actually, in full transparency, we might talk about this later. I am a Jets over uh, better this year. <laughs> I've already bet on it. Um, I will probably bet more on it over five and a half wins. So, um, you know, none of what I was saying was aimed actually at the Jets, you know, season this season, right? But often that's how it comes off of, uh, you know, that's what it sounds like. And um, the animation that I had on podcast, I don't know where it came from, but it overshadowed, I think, the point um that I was trying to make so let me let me try and state it as clearly as I can when you look at draft grades in uh you know the current state of NFL media um and we've looked at this like actually mathematically like plotted it you know on a graph draft grades are heavily correlated with how much draft capital you have so there's a tendency to give better grades to teams that have higher picks or more picks in the top 10 or the first round because you're getting better players right that's just how it works and that's an important data point drafting good players in the top 10 or the top 20 that you know that's an expectation because there are good players are better prospects at the top of the draft and so my point was that we often overlook the process that teams have in the draft and just look at the players that they drafted early on and that's fine like for example our draft grades on pff.com are very much. They're, they're, our aim is to do that. We look at the prospects that they acquired. We take out the the trading as much as we possibly can because what fans want, by the way, is they want to know whether they got good players, and that's that's. I'm I, I don't want to argue that at all. So the point that I was making is, if you assume that you should draft good players in the top ten, and you look at the process aside from that. So I'm not talking about Sauce Gardner. I'm, by the way, if you listen to the podcast at all, you know I love Sauce Gardner. You would have been the, the corner I would have taken uh, first overall in, uh, among the cornerback class. And receiver, uh, Garrett Wilson, by the way, we have extolled the value on the forecast of drafting receivers high. Um, we've been doing that for a while. Um, I will point out that people got very mad last year when we said that uh, Jamar Chase Uh, should have been the fourth or fifth pick uh, in the NFL draft. And I think, you know, that's working out okay. But if you take those and you put those aside, so I'm not talking about the picks at four and the picks at 10. And you just look at the process of the rest of the draft, and this was my point, then it was a below average draft for the Jets. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking into account now, trading up and taking into account positional value. What's the value of those positions that I'm drafting? And a little bit of, what what how did pff evaluate those players you know how do we evaluate johnson um how do we look at the value of running backs and what they can do in the league and the fact that you traded up for those trade-ups that are generally this is not a blanket statement but the math bears this out in pretty much every situation um is when you trade up and it's not for a quarterback you're generally losing that trade over the course of time are there examples of of you winning of trade-ups winning? Of course there are. That's the beauty of the NFL. It's not like I can make a statement like, hey, trading up is is bad. And that means it's always going to result in something bad. right? If you make a bet that has a 45% chance of winning, you're going to win some of the time, 45% of the time. right? And But over the course of time and over the course of history, it loses more times than it wins. And that's the point of that, that I'm making with the, with the trade up is over the course of time when you trade up for a player that isn't a quarterback and the reason for that uh sorry when you trade a player that isn't a quarterback you often lose more times than you win and the reason for that is this we overestimate in as fans and this is borne out for teams as well if you look at history is that they actually they're overconfident in their evaluation of players the, the truth about the draft is we study these guys. I mean, PFF, we watch every player on every play in every game and grade them and watch them over and over and over again. And the hit rate, it still isn't high enough to say, you know what? I'm going to give up an extra pick later on in the draft to select the player I think is better right now, like two or three or five or 10 or however many picks it is ahead Even though we feel really confident in our evaluation, the math bears out that actually NFL teams is where it's not me making this up. This is what history has shown actually don't pick players that make up for the player that the the extra pick that they gave up often enough to make trading up good when it's quarterbacks. A quarterback is so singularly valuable that if you trade up for a quarterback from a pick that you wouldn't have been able to select that quarterback at the value there can be made up. And often is made up. And, and that's one of the cool things that we've learned about the draft. We originally thought that trading up was just bad all the time. We looked at the math, we're like, hey, it's just bad. And then we we realized that with quarterbacks it's different. So we started looking at that. And and that's an, it, the great thing about football is we're learning over and over and over again every single year. But but this has been relatively true throughout, which is that that trading up is um, it with, you know, for a non-quarterback is a losing proposition is it the biggest at the end, you know, what the the Jets did with trades at the back end of the first and, you know, early second, and they gave up some fifths and swapped, you know, 40 places in the third. Is that a huge deal? No, it's not. But my point was that if you look at that process, it's, it would have, it's below average in that average would have been just standing pat there and taking players at valuable positions. And, you know, that's, they didn't do that. They traded up. And then with the Brees Hall pick, the argument around Brees Hall being a potentially awesome player, not arguing that, not at all. The argument there is that in the NFL, running backs are a function of the offense they're in, more so than controlling and helping the offense be above replacement. It requires a good offensive line, and it requires, above all, good quarterback play. And I think you know that is often overlooked. And for a team like the Jets, who has a lot of areas where they can improve, that's not the area that's going to make a big difference for them. And um, this is not to say it doesn't work out sometimes and that you can draft a really good running back who it can do a little bit more than than average. But if you look at the league, the teams that are winning Super Bowls, it's not on the back of a running back carrying the ball and being amazing. It's because of quarterback play and often a running back, kind of regardless of where they're picked, ends up being really solid on those offenses. So I know that was long. I wanted to try and add some of that nuance um, there uh, And hopefully that, you know, that explains kind of where I'm coming from. Am I passionate about that being a below average draft because trading up a couple of times uh, is bad process? Absolutely. But I want to make it really clear. This is not me saying, hey, Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner the top 10 are bad picks. That's not what this is about at all. I want to make sure that, that that's that's very, very clear.
0: OK, round two, name something that's not boring. 18 plus play like a jet play like a jet
2: where I'll disagree with you George is that I think process is subjective here because you're talking Mm. about the general idea of trading up and that if you do it more than once for a non-quarterback that statistically it's bad but I think you've got to keep in mind circumstance you've got to keep in mind what the team needs you've got to keep in mind the positional value all of those things factor into this in addition to the idea of trading up generally, plus you have to factor in what was actually given up. And remember, we're talking about fifth round picks here. I know that the Jets for Jermaine Johnson, that trade up, they flip down a little bit in the third round. But we're talking about fifth round picks that have a hit rate very low, 14 percent of fifth round picks ever end up being starters in the NFL, and of those, not that many of them are above average, and of those, many of them are at low-impact positions. So when you give up fifth-round picks, I don't really think that it's necessarily bad process if your process leads you to certain players being above the rest or being in a position where they can really help you meaningfully. And I'll get to Jermaine Johnson and Brees Hall in that regard right now. With Jermaine Johnson, I know that you made some cracks about how old he is, he's 23 years old, he turned 23 in January, And we all joke about this because Mike McKagan used to love to draft older prospects, and frequently it didn't work out, but I would argue it's more because Mike McKagan was incompetent than because he was drafting older prospects. I don't think you want to make a habit of consistently drafting older prospects, but if there's one that you really like that you think can help you, that's a different story. The Jets had Jermaine Johnson ranked in their top eight, and I know from listening to the forecast that you said, well, that doesn't mean he's a top eight player because he went 26th, and obviously other teams didn't value him the same way we don't necessarily know that though because we don't know what their draft boards look like there could be teams that had him in the top 10 and passed on him because they had somebody else in the top 10 that fell down that they took in that spot so it's really hard to gauge but ultimately what this comes down to to me for Jermaine Johnson is they looked at him they see him as an immediate difference maker at a position they desperately need in a position that I think we can both agree George is very very important on the football field pass rusher it's one of the most important positions that there is. So they looked at Johnson. They thought he was a cut above the other options on the board. Boye Mafe, Arnold Ebuchetti, and we'll get back to them because those are guys they could have potentially taken instead of Brees Hall. And I know you guys had talked about that as well. And so for the cost of a fifth round pick that has a very low hit rate and for flipping third round picks where they still got a guy that they really liked in Jeremy Ruckert, the tight end out of Ohio State to go up and get that guy that they really wanted that they thought was top eight player at that position that they think can help that defense, which was one of the worst in the league, if not the worst last year and could not get any pressure on the quarterback. I don't think that's bad process because I don't think you gave up that much to trade. And I think the trade up made a ton of sense considering who it was they were targeting, where he plays, and what they feel he can be for their defense. So that's where I'll disagree with you. I understand PFF and your philosophy generally is trading up is not great process as a concept, but I think you've got to take each individual Circumstance into account and I think What Jermaine Johnson could mean to this Defense what he could bring there The type of player they feel he can be To give up a fifth rounder that Is very inconsequential in the Long run generally and to Flip third round picks I don't see That that's bad value I don't see that that's Bad process I think it's good process to get Aggressive and get a player that you Really like that you really think can help you When you don't have to give up that much To make that move
3: Yeah, I I understand what um you know, I understand your point of view there. I think the one that I want to talk about a little bit more is what we take into account when you know we're saying these things. Because that's that's always the question for people, right? It's like, hey, math nerds, like, why don't you get out of an Excel spreadsheet? By the way, I don't use Excel. Uh, <laughs> and no one that's doing real math is using Excel. Um, but I always find that one funny. It's like, hey, you know, get out of your computer and go watch some games. And so I want to make it really clear when I am saying that the trade down is, um, has a, um, what's the right word? It's minus expected value. And I'm trying not to sound like a, I'm not, I'm not, trying to exclude people from the conversation. If you don't have a math degree. So I want to explain what I mean by that on average, you're losing value in, in the trade or, or you have a hit rate, you know, you're winning the the trade less than 50% of the time. What, what do we even mean by that? What we take into account is historically what you can expect from players at those draft positions based on history so exactly what you're saying right which is hey fifth rounders they have a low hit rate you're right and the way that we do that is we look at how players in those drafts regions have performed in history using what they've added to their team how well have they graded how valuable are those positions right that takes in all of history for all of those picks so when we say hey trading a fifth rounder we're looking at the value generated on average from picks in the 5th round. So we are doing that. And and we are looking at the difference between pick 101 and things pick 69 was the swap there if I remember correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we're taking we're taking that into account. We we do that and the way that we're valuing players and I want to make this really clear is is not on a spreadsheet. It is by grading every player on every play in every game. And I know sometimes this is hard for people to to realize we don't have time to hate a particular player <laughs> or a particular team. The process is super robust. It ensures that graders are circulating, that they're being reviewed. We check things with, you know, um uh with with uh kind of like experts and people in the league or who've worked in the league. So I want to make it really clear that the analysis that we're doing mathematically is is using how players perform on the field. And you're right, it's not a Big difference, but but losing, you know, making bets that you have a forty-five or you know forty percent chance of winning repeatedly, you're going to eventually lose. Like people go, oh, you know, um, why don't people quit their their day jobs to go play blackjack in Vegas? It's because most people are going to lose a few percentage points at a time over time, and guess what? You'll go broke doing that. And so that's that's what I'm talking about in the process and i want to make this clear the reason that's the case in history is because what you just said around you know the jets like jermaine johnson number eight overall on their board that over history in the course of history is that's what i'm talking about i talk about the the trade evaluation it, it shows that nfl teams don't can't be that confident because when they pick players at you know 38 versus 36 they're they're not making up the difference with that selection, uh, you know, to make up for that extra player, even if it is a fifth rounder that is being taken into consideration. And it's hard to do because we, we really, it's a personal thing. You fall in love with certain players and and that's what happens. It happens in fantasy football. It happens in real life. Fandom it happens all the time. It's an irrational confidence, right? Because you, you like this, the characteristics of that player that, but we're, I'm just looking at it from a historical perspective, those things don't win in the long run and and so you know it's a difference of opinion there but it's also a you know i'm not really having this opinion based on kind of my feel like i have this opinion because that's what a mathematical process that takes into account how players have played on the field that's what it tells me to do i'll be honest with you like i love jameson williams okay the lions made a huge trade up for jameson williams he would be in my wide receiver one but I would never have done that trade. And the reason for that is that I accept that even though I like a player, I probably, I, the math tells me I don't, I don't know enough about him and, and I can't be that confident to actually make that move up because, you know, that would be, it, it's just, it's hubris to a certain extent, right? It's saying I'm, I'm the special one, the entire league. There've been some really smart, you mentioned Mike McKagan. There've been some really smart GMs in the NFL. And they don't even win trade-ups. And that, you know, I don't... Well, who am I to think I'm the special one there, I guess would be my point. Um, the last thing that I'll bring up um, before I kick it back to you here is on the, the Jermaine Johnson thing. If if teams... So you mentioned, like, uh, other teams could have had him in the top 10. They could have. If If he was a consensus top 10 player, then him making it to 26 would be incredibly, incredibly small chance of happening. So the, the chances are that he was not a consensus top 10, probably not even consensus top 15 player there. Um, and, and you have to respect how the league values players. Um, if, if the league does not value him at that price, it's kind of like the Cleveland Farrell thing. I'm not making that comparison, but if you pick him at four, but the league values him at 30 then it doesn't matter if you really like him you overpaid and so i want to make it clear that it's he was probably valued more in the range that you picked him than valued at at pick eight given that he made it that far already so he, could he turn out to be a great player he absolutely could but you know you have to take into account when he played well was his last season he really had if you look at pff grades which by the way, it comes from watching players play every play of every uh, game that they play in. He, his grade over those first two years uh in the 70 range and boosted up to like an 84 this last year. And that was his, you know, kind of, I'm a more mature, older player than a lot of these other players. And that matters when projecting guys forward. So that's why he was lower down on our board. And if you look at a guy like, you know, an Arnold Ebikite, you look at Boye Mafé, like The chances that Jermaine Johnson or George Karloftis, who, by the way, went at pick 30, the chances that Jermaine Johnson is that much better than those guys, just looking at history, isn't super high. Even if you like him, you have to accept the fact that over the course of history, a lot of smart GMs have gone up and made moves, and they've been proven to be minus uh, EV plays in the long run
2: see this is where the abstract conflicts with the actual human element and i understand what Mm -hmm. you're saying it certainly makes sense from a logical perspective in terms of just looking at the numbers and the data and like you said the history of it But when you look at these players specifically, first of all, with Jermaine Johnson, a big part of the reason he jumped out at Florida State this year is because he had much more opportunity. When he was at Georgia, he didn't have as much of an opportunity to play. They had a very stacked defense, as we saw, George, historically great defense. And so he sort of got lost in the shuffle there a little bit. Now, you could argue if he was really that great, he would have jumped out at Georgia. But he did play well when he was on the field. He was more of a third-down specialist. When he got that opportunity at Florida State, he really showed that he could be a complete player, and I think that's one of the things that's a big difference between Jermaine Johnson and the two players that you mentioned, Boye, maffe and also Arnold Abiquetti. So let's talk about the human element here. With Mafé and Abiquetti, first of all, they're both older players too, so let's get that out there. They're both 23. In fact, I believe maffe is going to be 24 in a couple of months. Olof, this
3: is 21, by the way.
2: As far as Karloftis yep. goes, I'll, I'll get back to him in a second, but with Maffe and Ebiketti, Ebiketti, I don't know, is a necessarily good fit for what the Jets like to do because He's only 250 pounds. His frame is not really that conducive to him getting bigger and stronger without losing some of that speed and explosion. He seems more suited to be a 3-4 outside linebacker than a hand in the dirt guy, which is what the Jets really need. And Boye Mafe, bigger guy, so not that same concern. But with both of them, they're not as good as Jermaine Johnson against the run. And they're also much more developmental in what they can do. Jermaine Johnson has much cleaner technique, and he's an excellent run defender already. So... The floor for Jermaine Johnson is significantly higher than those other two guys, and I think that's why the Jets looked at it and said, okay, we want to go up and get him, as opposed to those other two. With Karloftis, I like Karloftis, and I would have been fine with him, too. They would have had to trade up for Karloftis as well, so either way, that doesn't matter, because they would have had to make the same trade to go get Karloftis. So the value is what the value is of the trade I like Karloftis as well I think that he's going to be a really nice player I think Jermaine Johnson probably has more athletic upside But either way You can't really argue that They shouldn't have made the trade up And then bring in Karloftis Because they still would have had to trade up for Karloftis So I think what you're really looking at here Is Maffe and Ebiketti And as I said I don't think Ebiketti is a great scheme fit And I think both of those guys Not being as good against the run as Jermaine Johnson And being much more raw as pass rushers than Jermaine Johnson Johnson is has to factor into this. I know we're talking about historical trends and statistics and all that, and that all is absolutely something that should be taken into account when considering a trade up. But when you're talking about a guy that you think is superior in certain areas, especially areas that are going to really come into play on your particular defense, The value of a fifth-round pick to go get that guy that you think can really help you and be that fit and has a much higher floor, thus a much larger chance of succeeding because he doesn't have those same deficiencies, that's something that the Jets certainly took into account as well. And as you said, all of these guys are older prospects, not Karloftis, but the other two that they could have had if they'd have stood pat Are older prospects as well So you can't really use that as a dig So that's where I'm coming from With why it made sense for them to go up And get Jermaine Johnson In addition to what you were saying Look, a lot of these GMs we know They overvalue their opinions But at some point you have to trust your evaluations too And so if they felt he was eighth overall on their board or in the top eight on their board and they didn't think they were going to have any chance to get him at 35 where they were sitting, Mm -hmm. then I don't understand what the problem is going and making that move. Considering what I just said about the difference between him and Mafé and Arnold Ebiketti, the differences in quality of play and the skill sets and the fit in the system and all of that. You can argue who's a better player between Jermaine Johnson and George Karloftis and whether they should have taken Karloftis over Johnson. I'm open to that. I like Karloftis a lot, so that's not really the issue that I have here. And that comes back to subjective evaluation of players, obviously. But I think when you talk about the human element here, that has to factor in. So I understand what you're saying about mathematics and historical trends and all of that. But that should only be part of the equation. It can't be the entire equation. And part of the process here in the draft is going and getting these players that fit what you like to do, that can have an impact for you at specific positions that the coaching staff likes, that the general manager likes. And as you said, don't get me wrong, there's an element of hubris here. Sometimes you overvalue players and all of that. But you've got to trust your scouts, your coaching staff and the general manager to some degree and then you also have to look at what i was talking about in terms of just what these teams specifically like to do and that's why they would value a player like Jermaine Johnson significantly over guys like Maffe and Empiketti. So does what i just said make sense to you and does it maybe jive in tandem with the mathematical historical stuff whereas you could say okay historically, this might be bad process, but given this particular situation, maybe it wasn't bad process.
3: I, look, I, I um, understand I understand exactly what you're saying. Let me just ask you this, though. that So when we say historically, what do we mean? We're looking at picks that have actually been made in these positions, right? And we're looking at many times where GMs have traded up. I'm going to guess that the reasoning you just gave is probably something I feel pretty confident that that's the reasoning that a lot of teams trade up, right? Like, I don't think that anything that you're saying is is wrong. You absolutely want to consider, first off, what do you think about the player? Now, I will say this. Subjective evaluation is subjective evaluation. PFF grading, especially in run defense, especially on the defensive line, is the most consistent data point we have in projecting college players to pro players that is out there. Okay. And so I, I, I know that those are really good, generally very consistent at predicting, especially run defense. Jermaine Johnson, Boyamafe, Ebiketti, or Ebikite. I actually, I've been saying Ebikite. I'm not sure which one it's supposed to be. uh, And I feel bad about that, but they all have run defense grades that are very similar in about the seventies. So yeah, you can look at scheme fit and all those things, but you have to remember that that subjectivity that you have is was there with other teams when they made picks and when they traded up. That I don't think is something that isn't being baked in to the historical model. So what you're saying when you say that, and this is where I think the hubris comes in is this, this is different because we've done this evaluation better than other teams have in the past. And yes, you have to trust yourself and you have to trust your scouts. But I would say this actually. I would say that trusting yourself and and your evaluation process also should mean that when you go into the draft, you understand where players are that you can that can fit your system and your scheme. So you're not overdrafting players that you're going to misuse. I think that's really important. And but you have to have that game plan within what you know to be the good, the right process, I guess is my point. So do I agree with you in terms of you have to trust, you know, you have to trust that your evaluation is sound. Yes. But you should also have a model mathematically that looks at history and says, do we have a process that is sound here? And if you, you, you should have a way of weighing those two things um, against one another. And I, I just think you have to look at, at history here, because to your point, there are GMs, And I think I actually I really like Joe Douglas, by the way, this is not a like anti Joe Douglas thing. And I understand as well that we are two guys sitting on a couch watching the draft. I was at a sports book in Vegas watching the draft. So we can't fully feel the the um, emotions that go on during a draft. Right. We've all made irrational decisions in the moment. And so being a critic is is super easy in, in these hindsight situations. But. In the nfl this is the most high leverage um opportunity for a team to improve why because they're drafting players who are going to be uh contract controlled for five you know four or five years and in the nfl that is super valuable so you should have a process for this and if you look at that process it's very i have not seen a single mathematical process that takes into account how players have done historically that says trading up in those situations would is an expected win. And so that to me is just overvaluing your own, you know, understanding of the players because to what you just said, that could end up being the case. But I don't think that's not baked into history, right? Because all of the GMs in the past are thinking the same way, right? And they're using their own subjective opinion. And it turns out that that subjective opinion isn't making up the difference. And I'm not saying go draft players that you're gonna use incorrectly, absolutely not. Um, but I am saying that over the course of history, I think that teams are still trying to do that and it's not working out for them in the long run. Now let's be clear. Is this some, like, when I say below average, I don't mean like detrimental to the team. And I think I got to be clear there because why is that the important picks they made were four and 10. Those were the important picks, but over you're, you're not a good team, right? The jets win total this year is five and a half. No one views them as a good team. And by the way, if you think they're a really good team, you don't have to argue with me. Like, go bet on them. And by the way, I have bet the Jets over five and a half. I think five and a half is too low. They have continuity head coach, really like Robert Sala. I I think that Zach Wilson has a chance here. He had a really, really bad rookie season. It was terrible. He did not play well. But he also didn't have a great supporting cast, okay? Garrett Wilson, really like. So don't argue with me. Go bet it, first off. Um, but don't, you know, don't get it twisted when you say below average that can have magnitudes. If they had traded, for example, like, uh, what's a good example here. So say they had the 10th, they traded up from like 10 to five, that would be a much bigger magnitude loss because of what they'd have to give up there. And your point is very sound. They gave up picks that are later on the draft. So the magnitude is lower, but it still is there like the magnitude that they lost in each of those, those trade-ups is going to mean that Jermaine Johnson is going to have to not just hit his average, right. uh, Outcome. He's gonna have to be like, you know, 75th percentile, right. He's going to have to be closer to his ceiling to make up for that value. You know, the Brees hall one is even harder because running backs in the NFL. And I don't want to be, I'm not saying running backs aren't like shouldn't get paid or any of that stuff. Like I actually love, Running backs. I'm a you know I've, since I've played fantasy football, I've just always had an fit. Um, uh, just love the, what they can do athletically. The, the fact of the matter is that like running the ball isn't efficient in 2022. It's not something that you want to do a ton, and that by and large you can find running back value all the way up and down the draft. That's that's not me again saying I don't like running backs. That's just what the data shows historically. Um, but so the magnitude of what they did while below average and bad process. I'm not sure is actually like, it's not a big, it's not like a big L. It's not like I'm going to go give them a D grade because of that, right? The picks that matter most are at four and 10. I was simply trying to make a point about let's not overvalue teams just picking, you know, good players in the top 10. They should be. And let's look a little bit deeper and make sure we're considering uh, the process overall. Sorry, I got a little off the Jermaine uh, Johnson thing there. But, uh, you know, to your point, I agree with everything you said. I'm simply saying that my my perspective is that is baked into the history that teams are considering that and that's what historical models are looking at it is not taking that element out of things
2: again i understand the historical trends here but you have to take into account that everything is unique in each individual circumstance the fit in the scheme is different with each individual player. The player himself is a unique player. So training up for player A is different than training up for player B because player A is different than player B. They play different positions. There's a different scheme fit. You have different general managers and coaches making these decisions. So it's not all equal because some general managers, some scouts, some coaches have better track records and a better idea of how to evaluate players than others do. And so at some level, you have to trust the people that you have in your organization making these decisions. The scouts, the coaches, the general manager, they have to be trusted with being able to make these evaluations and understanding the difference between the different players and what the team needs and what fits best for them. You have to take all of that into account when you're talking about individual circumstance and situation. It can't just be look at the history historically. It's worked this percentage number of times because you're dealing with players and evaluators and systems and schemes and all that that are unique to each individual circumstance.
3: Like so, the data, the historical trends, those are based on other GMs making picks and making trade ups. Are are you saying those teams are not taking? The, the player and the scheme and their you know evaluation of floor versus ceiling and what they can do into account?
2: What I'm saying is that different players mean different things to different teams. Bill Belichick mm-hmm. is famous for this. He has a draft board, and it's not necessarily the top 30 players. It's the top 30 players for the Patriots, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what has to be taken into account here with the Jets, and that's what I want to get to with Brees Hall in a second too.
3: Is is Bill Belichick let – me, let me ask you this. Is Bill Belichick good at – Drafting.
2: Bit of a mixed bag. He's had some really good drafts, but he's had some really bad drafts too.
3: His strategy has been to trade down and acquire more picks. The reason he, he, the Patriots, historically are not a good team at making an individual selection, that's not their strength. What they have done is just drafted more than other teams. Like I think well, and this is also actually what they've great done
2: team. is they've picked off other players from other rosters that were undervalued and underused and didn't fit well, yeah. what those teams did. And I think and that they had Tom really Brady. The big strength. <laughs> yeah, and Tom Brady of course. But I but, think the biggest strength was being able to do things like that, getting guys like say Kyle Van Noy off the scrap heap and turning him into a good player. We've seen this over and over again with the Patriots. So I get what you're saying in terms of the tradebacks. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. It has worked out all that well for the Patriots the last couple of years. And I think it's only going to get worse because as you said, Tom Brady's not there to cover up for the mistakes anymore.
3: Yeah. I mean, the, the point that I would make, I think you're actually making the my point exactly, which is it hasn't worked out for the Patriots recently. The Patriots are not a great drafting team. They are a good team at, as you said, identifying value up and down the board, right? They get players that they sign off the street They get guys that are picked in the second, third, fourth round that end up working out for them, fifth round, by the way, as well. And to do that, you have to draft more, not not draft less and be more confident in your selections there. And and I think the Jets, I don't have the stat on me. I wish I'd looked this up and had it exactly, but I believe if you compare the number of times the Jets have picked the number of times that the Patriots have picked in the NFL draft. It's like this very lopsided um data point i'm not sure what the span is i saw it on twitter in and fairness I that I part of that it.
2: is probably because of mike tannenbaum who thought that draft picks were useless so he was constantly right. trading them away and getting veterans and then even doing what you're talking about is historically bad which is trading all the way up the board giving up all of your premium picks and i think that's a dangerous game when you do something like that you better be getting a blue chip player but i think when you give up A fifth round pick, which as we said, is historically generally insignificant in terms of the hit rate to get a guy that you think can be a major difference maker. And again, we're taking into account all these different things. In terms of what the Jets need and what works best for them, every team has different needs, every team has different schemes, every team has different coaching staffs, so there's so many variables, and I think that really plays into this above and beyond just the historical trends, because basically if teams were to follow what you're saying nobody would ever trade up in the draft pretty much except for a quarterback you'd look at the historical trends and you'd say okay well more often than not this isn't going to work out but you have to take into account the individual circumstance and as far as the process I think the process was sound because if you give up something that you feel is insignificant with that fifth round pick to go up and get that player that you have rated as highly as you do and that you think is significantly better than the guy's that have fallen into the second round, or we're going to fall into the second round, then I think that's solid because you're going and giving up something that's not all that a significant asset and getting the player that you think can be that meaningful difference maker. But we've talked a lot about Jermaine Johnson. I want to move on to Brees Hall, and we'll do that in part two of this discussion tomorrow because we've already gone pretty long talking about Jermaine Johnson and the general idea of trading up as a principal. So for now, make sure you follow George on Twitter at PFF underscore George. Make sure that you listen to the forecast with George and Eric. We're going to pick this up tomorrow, talking about Brees Hall and finishing off this discussion. Also, check out everything we're doing at playlikeajet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. The Thunder from down under Luke Grant has got some great All-22 breakdowns. You can check out Jermaine Johnson. Decide for yourself if you think it was too exorbitant of a price for the Jets to move up and grab him, to plug him into their defense, knowing what Robert Sala and Jeff Ulbrich like to do there. Plus, we've got all the other Jets draft picks up there on all 22 reviews as well. Watch the video. Subscribe if you haven't already. Visit our store, TeePublic.com. That's TeePublic.com. We've got the John Franklin Myers, Quentin Williams, Bless You Thank You shirt, the Zach Says Go Long shirt, the Zach the Ripper shirt, the Play Like a Jet logo shirt, Caps, Mugs, hoodies. It's all there. TeePublic.com. That's TeePublic.com. And be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. doesn't take you much time. doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So, if you go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital at Okay,
0: round two. Name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry? Ooh, a book club.
0: Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.